We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. We at BlueWire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire Pods, search for us on iTunes or check out BlueWirePods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Some quick housekeeping. I want to thank everyone who sent questions and listened to last week's listener questions episode. I enjoyed doing it. I got some great questions, got some good feedback about it. So I'm thinking that this is going to be at least a you know a once a month thing, maybe a, a quick Thursday mini-sode, three to four questions, occasionally doing another full Monday episode kind of thing. Um, so thanks to everyone again who sent in those. I've also noticed a few more five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts lately. Again, thanks to everyone who's taken the time to do that. Those do really help the podcast. You know, if you haven't yet, obviously subscribe, rate, review. Uh, you know the drill. This week is going to be two episodes, both involving the 2002 baseball film The Rookie. For today's episode, I talked to former big league pitcher and the inspiration for the film Jim Morris. We discuss his upcoming book, Dream Makers, Surround Yourself with the Best to Be the Best. And then Jim was kind enough to let me completely nerd out and ask him some questions about the rookie. I I saw that movie when I was 11. I saw it in theaters. I've been a big fan ever since. It just gets me right in the feels. Obviously, it's on MOB Network all the time. Uh, Jim was kind enough to to take my questions and have a lot of patience with me. Um, I will have links to his website and where you can pre-order the uh, his book in the show notes. On Friday, we're going to have a normal big screen sports episode, breaking down the movie, talking about what was authentic, what worked, what didn't, uh, on the actual film, The Rookie. Returning guest, Dylan Shivery from Wash Media. Dylan's a big baseball fan, and he was actually an extra in the film, uh, made for a fun episode, was really glad to have him back on. I hope everyone listening is continuing to stay safe. Thanks for taking the time to check out and support this podcast. Um, since, since quarantine started, I've received a lot of really encouraging messages uh, you know, on Twitter DMs, Instagram DMs, just talking to me about movies you want covered or guests you liked or just feedback on episodes. And those um, those really help. I really I really enjoy hearing from you guys about what you're thinking about the podcast, how to make it better. 
Um, I'm appreciative that you guys take the time to listen to these episodes, and it, it makes it fun for me to put them out. With that, it's time to talk to Jim Morris. All right, welcome back to a special bonus episode of Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast. I'm Kyle Banduho, and I am joined by someone very familiar to baseball movie fans. The subject of the film, the 2002 Disney film The Rookie, former big league pitcher and author of the upcoming book Dream Maker, Surround Yourself with the Best to Be Your Best, Jim Morris. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time today. Glad to be here, man. I, it's not like we have a lot to do right now, but this is this is awesome. I love talking to people who are excited about movies. Yeah, we are we are all uh, all stuck inside right now. Um, I am going to spend the rest of this interview trying not to geek out. I'm a big fan of baseball and and the rookie. Um, fan of your story, Jim. First and foremost, uh, tell the folks about your book when it's coming out, where folks can pick it up, and most importantly, what it's about. Uh, dreammakersbook.com. If you go to that website, that's my website and you can get a discount on it. It comes out June 23rd and we're excited about it because it's been a long time in coming and we were looking for a ending for a long time. And, um, as a person of a lot of faith, I think God just went, you know what, now you've got your ending. And so we've run with it. We're excited about it. The editors and the publishers, love the book so we're hoping the audiences do too and it's basically a, a compilation of the last 20 years of speeches i've done broken into book form and so it's written like a speech and i hope people really enjoy it because it talks a lot about my life one of the most asked questions um, after the movie questions are what have you done since we know you've done this and that's awesome but what have you done since then and then you look back and you're like man 20 years and you're like, well, number one, I'm old. And number two, <laughs> let's just keep going forward. And so I've taken some of the best things out of my speeches and put them into book form. And we're very happy about it. And thank you for asking. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, it's been nearly 20 years since the movie came out. I think everyone, most everyone listening to this pod is pretty familiar with your story, at least the Disney story, the, the one told on film. Um, you know, that ends with that strikeout in Arlington and, and you know, seeing the, the crowd of people at the end. Um, what you've you've been a, a motivational speaker for the for the past 20 years. What are some of the themes that you're bringing to this book and that you you may have picked up um, in, in that 20 years, not just the, um, you know, the the journey that led you into, you know, getting back into Major League Baseball and following those dreams. But what are some of the things that you've picked up in that 20 years that you really want to come through in the book? The fact that I've battled a chronic illness for 20 years and still been able to go out and speak and not miss speeches because of it. Um, when I retired with the Dodgers, I, I retired because in a, in a matter of five days, I went from throwing in Chavez Ravine with everybody before spring training and throwing 100 to five days later, going to spring training in Vero Beach when they were still in Florida. And all of a sudden, I couldn't judge balls back at me in five days. And over the next 10 years, my wife, Shauna, and I went to numerous doctors. And they're like, you know what? You just have a lot of nerve stuff because of the surgeries you've had. And during that period of time, since 2002, I've had over 50 surgeries on nerve-related issues. And eventually diagnosed with Parkinson's uh, to the point to where my, my mother, the person who is older than me, bought me a cane to walk around with. And 
then having a group of people from the church surround me and pray for me constantly. And I call them my girls because that's what they want me to call them. And actually they're ladies from like 50 to 90, but they want me to call them my girls so they feel young. And through the course of this, God has spoken a lot into us. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that I've had brain scans and everything else since then. And after not being able to smell or taste for, for five years and tremors and walking funny and having a cane and not moving my arms to the point where I would do a speech and record it. And we came home, my girls would watch the speech and they're like, dad, you're, you're not making any expressions. What's going on? And so all of that was Parkinson's. But since then we've done another brain scan and I'm totally clear. I don't have Parkinson's anymore. And I did a podcast with Dennis Quaid and interesting, interestingly enough last week, and he and I were talking about this and he goes, that doesn't happen. And I said, that's exactly what my neurologist said. And then she tested me and then she did a brain scan. She's like, you don't have Parkinson's anymore. And so we're extremely excited. I'm healthy again. I'm in shape. I'm ready to go. There's only one problem right now. We're housebound. So yeah, you got healthy that... <laughs> just in time to not be able to go do anything. Exactly. That's kind of how things go, isn't it? But we're ready to go. When the doors open up again, we're going to be ready. Well, um, I'd say something that me or anyone else can take from the first time we were introduced to you and your story is is don't give up on your dreams. Uh, what is something that you hope that people can take from this book? Uh, don't give up on anything because... The dream you start chasing may not be the one you end up loving the most. There are, are a lot of different themes in this. There is the Parkinson's part, which is the autoimmune deal. There is um, the opiate part with 50 surgeries in 20 years. You're on opiates from the doctors most of the time. And I'm not abusing those, but they're not working, right? So I'm in a lot of pain. And I thought, well, I will add my own concoction. I will put some vodka in there uh, to the point to where my wife had to make the hard choice of sending me to rehab at one point. And so all of that's in there also. And it talks about <clears throat> all the steps I went through with Parkinson's and then rehab and all that goes with that. And you realize you can get sucked into a tornado and spiral down so quickly. You don't even realize where you're going because I had the surgeries. I was on opiates. I was drinking vodka, but I didn't miss any speeches. Nobody could tell anything other than the fact that I had Parkinson's and they were put in chairs on stages, which I never used, um, that whole journey. And so there's been a whole journey after uh, the rookie. And I think that's been the big thing is to have a sense of humor. And for the people that have faith, lean on your faith because it works. I'm telling you, I had Parkinson's. I don't have Parkinson's. I drank. I don't drink. Uh, clean and sober for four years. And here we go, man. Let's get busy. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot to share with people in this book over the last you know, 20 years. Um, everyone, definitely go check that out when it drops. I will have all the links in the show notes uh, to go pick up Jim's book. But you mentioned The Rookie. You mentioned Dennis Quaid. Um, I am a big fan of the movie. I've got I've to gotta pepper you with questions now. Are, are, are you, you ready? I'm ready. 
let's take it back to to Big Lake, Texas. I I, di- I didn't get a chance to mention this to you when we briefly uh, spoke before we started recording, but you were probably considered the pride of Big Lake, Texas, and I got my first speeding ticket in Big Lake, Texas. So two two great connections to Big Lake for both of us. The guy the guy who stopped you is probably my friend. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I I still have I have my qualms about that about that ticket. I got caught. I. <laughs> The I the speed limit changed on a hill and it was late at night and I was driving home from college and that's uh that's that's a story for another podcast. But um <laughs> l- let's just go right back to I guess I assume post career after you've retired, you know, what goes through your mind when you're told that the the biggest studio on the planet is making a movie about you and how long was the process from hey, here's an idea to hey, this is actually happening? I first started getting calls from a friend who had been a roommate of mine the first time around in the minor leagues back in the early 80s. And he had gone to Hollywood and was starting to produce movies. He worked out with Michael Eisner, then Disney's president. And they saw me on an interview that I had done in Durham. And they're like, we think this is going to be a good movie. And I, I laughed. And I went, dude, I've had nine surgeries. I weigh 250 pounds. You're not making a comedy about me. Go away. And he kept calling back to the point to where I had to hire an agent. At 35, leaving a classroom, you have to hire an agent for baseball. That just sounds weird. And But I hired one and he took over the calls. I get called up, I strike out Royce Clayton. The very next place we go is Anaheim, California to play the Angels. Bill Plaschke for the LA Times writes a huge article on Sunday edition, covers the whole front page everything about my story, interviews all the kids from Big Lake and some of the residents. And I go downstairs for the first time by myself as a big leaguer to have breakfast. I pull out the sports page to look at it and I'm all over the front page. I shove the paper back inside the rest of it. I look up and everybody in the restaurant of the hotel is looking at me. And so like the second night of Major League Baseball, I discovered room service and that's what I started doing. And because of that article, everybody wanted to do documentaries, books, um, TV interviews and movies. And so while I was there for a four game series, my agent Steve and I, we drove around LA going to the different studios and everybody had their take on the type of movie they wanted to make. And I just wasn't happy with any of it. And We started walking across the grounds of Disney and he looks at me and he goes, what do you want out of a movie? And I said, I want a movie about kids who are counted out and never thought they had a chance getting that opportunity to do it. I said, I also want in there about people who have failed at something and then get a second chance to come back and try and prove it that they can do it again. And I walk in and I sit down and Michael Eisner starts talking and he says basically the exact same thing I had said walking across the grounds. And I looked at Steve and I said, they have microphones everywhere. And everybody started laughing, but we want a movie about kids because that's what it revolved around. That's what's been my life. Um, my wife and I have raised five. I was a teacher. She was a teacher at one point. And so kids have been very much a part of our life forever. And I think that kids get left behind a lot because we quit paying attention to them. I know from my childhood that happened to me. 
And I didn't, I don't want that to happen to kids ever. And so I was sold with Disney before we walked out of there. I looked at Steve and I said, this is it. This is what we're doing. Well, I think you made the right call. I think if that's, if that's what you wanted out of your movie, Disney was the perfect studio for that. They're on a nice run at that time. They go Titans, the rookie miracle after the rookie. It's a, it's, it's a really, it's a great three, three sports movie run. Um, you know, the story behind the film, because uh, on, on this podcast, uh, on regular episodes a lot, we talk about the actual sports authenticity and just really, really get into the, the nitty gritty of the actual sports. So I've just got to, I've got a lot of questions about, you know, what was actually going on, um, you know, behind the film, you, you're trying out after your team wins district. When you rolled up to that tryout, the, 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 your kids had, had one district gotten you to go try out for the Rays. How hard did you think you could actually throw at the time when you got on the mound? You know, you had you had played pro ball. You knew, you know, you could you could probably gauge a little bit. Did you think you were even sniffing ninety eight? When I was young and talented, I threw eighty eight. And so after all the surgeries, including one at twenty eight, which the doctor said you will never ever pitch again ever, I've cut eighty five percent of your deltoid out. There is no way I went to a tryout thinking I'm going to throw gas and. So the bet we made, after we make that bet, they start winning. Then they start hitting me, and then I can't get high school kids out. I mean, I'm throwing as hard as I can, and they're drilling me all over the park. And so by the time I get to the tryout, I'm sitting in my car, and I'm like, this is going to be so embarrassing. And it was bad enough that all the kids who were there to try out would not even play catch with me. And so I didn't warm up. I went up, Doug Gasway was a scout. He had been scouting forever. He was about 70. And then I go up there with my kids and he looks up at me and he said, how many kids did you bring to try out, to the tryout? And I said, I brought three. He goes, no, two tryout. And I said, let me explain something. I made a promise to a group of kids who nobody believes in that if they did something nobody thought they could do, I would try to do something I know I can't do. Either you're going to let me throw or somebody else will, but I made a promise and my grandfather always told me you are your word, and I'm living up to this promise. And so it's going to be embarrassing. It will be humiliating, but you'll get a great laugh out of it. But I need to throw. And I get done. He looks at me with a serious face, and he said, son, why didn't you just shave your head like every other coach? I'm like, man, where were you three months ago? And I said, It would have been easier. For, it would have been easier. I sat around for four and a half hours having a picnic, playing games, and changing diapers before I tried out. Well, and then you, you lit up a few radar guns, and you know pretty soon after that, you were in the big leagues. Big Screen Sports is sponsored by BetOnline.ag. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline, sells hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. You miss an NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to BlueChew.com. From this ad copy, I'm assuming they're going to help you with, uh, with your boner problems. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. 
They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on full stomach. If you're taking them during the day, by all means, congrats on the sex, guy. Uh, plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for my listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Now back to the podcast. You know, I think one of the best things the film does, it actually does, is that that's that uh that whoosh sound every time that that Quaid throws a ball to make it appear as though he's bumping 98. I've seen a video of your actual delivery, the intent, the athleticism behind it. Um no one appreciates Dennis Quaid on film more than me. I'm a big Dennis Quaid guy, I love Quaid, but did you get the chance to to coach him up at all? It is it is almost an impossible ask for any actor to portray a major league pitcher, one throwing 98 miles an hour. Did you get the chance to try to work with him at all? I worked with him and a couple other guys like Jim Gott worked with him also, famous Dodger, but that is extremely hard and you're right. It is hard to replicate that when you act for a living or you do anything else for a living, there are very few people in the world that can actually do that. And it takes incredible amounts of control and working with your body to know exactly what you can do. But he did a great job as far as he could take it. And then we had a kid from UT who was also throwing and he was actually really good. And he threw like 88, so they didn't have to bump it up much, but it's hard to replicate 98 to 100 because it happens so rarely. And it was a lot of fun being on the set. It was very daunting, very surreal. And they would film something, they would look at me, and they're like, do you like it? And I'm like, I have no idea what they're doing. They filmed the movie from the end to the beginning, and so it's all out of sequence, I'm lost. And there was one day on set, and they said, cut. And Dennis came over to me, and he goes, all right, we're fixing to talk about the bet. What would you say right here? And I just start rattling off some of the stuff I said, and he's not writing anything down, and he's looking at me, kind of shaking his head, and he goes back, and they say action, and he almost word for word says exactly what I had said. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're an actor. And it was just, it was a great relationship. We got along so well. We fed off each other during interviews, but we had just had a great time together also. I mean, playing golf, going out to eat, um, me going to watch him play in the band. And so that time was incredible for me because I had never been through anything like that before. And even to the point where he came over one day and he goes, you need to have fun because this doesn't happen very often. You need to enjoy this. And I think that is the first time I was able to relax on set was because he had said that. And so we had a good relationship. Well, I think the thing that was more important for him in the role than just you know looking the part of a baseball player on the mound was really was really just carrying the weight of your story and um, j- just being able to portray how you were going about your life at that point, as opposed to just how you were, were taking the mound. And one of the things I, I like a lot of aspects about the movie. One of the things I really like is almost the, the fish out of waterness of him when he is in the minors, especially when you get to the scenes of it's either double A AA or triple A. I'm not really sure the, the exact level, but when he, he buddies up with Brooks and those other guys 
for you watching that, what was what was it like being, you know, you had last been in a minor league clubhouse in your early 20s. What was it like, um, you know, what was it like kind of bonding with those guys, with those much younger guys in in that environment? Was it was it kind of easy? Was it like the film portrayed where at first you were a little bit of a fish out of water? How did you go about um, you know, just kind of blending into a clubhouse where you definitely stood out. That's a really good question. I haven't been asked that much. It was actually in Durham. We were part of the Durham Bulls, and it's a lot different when you're coaching kids and then you're playing with kids who are barely older than the kids you're coaching. That is something that is strange to say the least. But guys who were there who had been to the big leagues who were getting well from injuries and surgeries, they were also there. And so a couple of those guys like Bobby Munoz, they took me under their wing and they started teaching me the ropes of it again. It's just the movie was never about baseball. And it's got baseball in it. That was my dream. But anybody can put their dream into it and see themselves succeeding if you just get after it and you make a great plan and you have a lot of heart and you get up and you go get it done. That is the most incredible time of my life because I thought I had pushed a group of kids and they had pushed me. And so it doesn't matter how young or old you are, we can all achieve the dreams we want. You just have to put in the work and have the heart. And so when I got to AAA, I was thinking I have a coaching job waiting on me in Fort Worth, Texas. It's a great big high school. It's the opportunity to work with more kids in a bigger environment. I'm just here for the summer. I'm getting to be a kid again. I'm getting my second shot at the minor leagues. This is kind of cool. Uh, the minor leagues have changed a lot since I played because now this is actually a great park and we're having a lot of fun. And, and then you get called up and you're like, whoa, this was just a summer thing. This wasn't supposed to turn anything big. And then I get called up and I go and I meet my team at the ballpark in Arlington, in my home state, in my favorite ballpark, and everybody I know and love getting to watch me put on a big league uniform with my name on my back, and it was incredible. When I walked into the clubhouse, there was Wade Boggs, who had just gotten his 3,000th hit the week or two before, you know, automatic Hall of Famer, and he walks up, they've heard about the crazy science guy for three months, he hugs me, he goes, man, that is a great story. And I look at him and I'm still a fan and a coach. And I'm like, you're Wade Boggs. And he giggles at me, he walks off. Roberto Hernandez, Fred McGriff, Jose Canseco. It was just incredible. I'm well, in a playing classroom. Playing with Boggs and those guys, it must have been nice to not be the oldest guy in the clubhouse for once. It was cool because even though I'm 35, right, I'm a rookie. And so they have to haze me. And so they would apologize to me first and go, we're sorry, but, you know, you, you, you kind of got to do this. And they would apologize, and then I would do it. And it was just, it was a lot of fun being with guys. They knew I could do what I was there to do because I was there. But you're not going to take you to the big leagues if you don't know what you're doing. And so Johnny Oates, the opposing manager that day, let 150 people in the game that day that had ties to me. I mean, even my high school kids were there, obviously, but even kids I coached against, coaches had gotten school buses and driven nine hours to watch the coach that made a promise. And I just thought that was incredible. It was such a great day. 
Well, you're doing my job for me because that's pretty much my my lead in to the next thing I wanted to ask you. Um, on a typical episode of this pod, you know, covering a movie, do a category at the end called the big chill, which is the moment in the movie that, that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Uh, it's my favorite category. And then I have two big ones in the rookie. And since I've got you, I've, I need you to walk me through the real life version. Um, the, the first one for me is I'm a dad. I've got a six-year-old. And The Rookie is as much, I think, a father-son movie as it is a baseball movie. Um, but between the, the on-screen depiction of you and your son and you and your father, my first big chill moment is when you, you, know, you call to let your wife and son know you've, you've gotten the call to the big leagues. What was the, can you walk me through the actual moment of finding out you got the call and, and relaying that home? I am in the clubhouse after we had lost in the playoffs to the Charlotte Knights, the Chicago White Sox AAA team. And whoever wins that game is going to the AAA World Series. It's two to one when I came in. It's two to one when Bobby came out. We lost. Season's over. He was from Dallas. I was going to ride home with him and start coaching. Uh, football had already started, but they were holding my job open for me. And so we're at our lockers talking about which direction we're going to drive home from Charlotte, North Carolina. And the manager comes up and taps me on the shoulder. He said, I need to talk to you. Now, you have to realize I am kind kind of a smart aleck. And so I I look around the locker room. I look back at my manager and I go, I don't think so. The last six guys you talked to are all crying right now. And he laughed at me. He said, come on. And I walk from my locker to his office and I've got my head down. I'm not sad. I'm not upset. I am trying to process how at 35, I came closer to my dream than I did when I was supposed to be young and talented. And so, and I had a group of kids talk me into it. And so as I walk into the office, I didn't realize it, but our big league general managers there, Chuck Lamar, and I don't know what kind of look I had on my face, but I guess I didn't look like I was happy because I was processing stuff. He goes, you can smile you're going to be in Texas tomorrow. And I didn't get it. And I said, I know that Bobby and I are going there right now. And he said, no, the big league team is in Arlington playing the Rangers and there's a uniform waiting on you. And I was stunned. You got to give me the call after too. I, I call my high school kids. They're excited. It's like one o'clock in the morning and they're driving up and down the streets of big lake honking and yelling and that didn't make the parents happy, but the kids were excited. Um, then I call my kids and I'm like, I'm going to see you guys tomorrow. I have not seen my kids in three months. I have never been away from them for longer than a baseball tournament over a weekend. And so to be able to get to see them and hug them and hold them and play with them, that was also when you're young and you have a dream, that's one thing. When you're older and you have kids, your dreams change to your kids' dreams. And so while I'm living out my dream at the age of 35, I've also got these kids who are also my dream, and I'm trying to bring them up the right way. And so I call them. They're excited. I get to the ballpark the next day. I get to see my kids. I hug them. I love on them. And then you're a big league ball player, man. We got batting practice and people that I went to, college with showed up and people who said they went to high school with me showed up. I have no idea who they were, but (laughs) it was just an incredible moment because you're living out your dream in your home state, in your favorite ballpark with everybody, you know, and love watching you do it. If I'd have got that dream at 19, 
I would not have appreciated it as much as I did at 35. That rolls into my, my next moment when okay. you, you fulfill the journey. My second big chill moment, I'm sure you could guess this, is when you get called in from the bullpen. The score hits like <laughs> incredibly in that moment. Um, on screen, it's incredible. I'd imagine, though, it might have been a bit more nerve-wracking in your shoes. I remember my first college outing in a small college with like 20 fans in the stands, and I almost peed my pants. So I, I can't imagine what it was like for you. That is probably one of the most surreal moments I've ever had in my life. For eight innings, I sit in the bullpen next to big league pitchers with my name and number on my back, talking about how to pitch the guys I might face if I get in. But the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm like, I've thrown three days in a row in AAA playoffs. There is no way they're putting me in. But in the eighth inning, the phone rings. They're like, Morris, warm up. And I'm like, they just want me to warm up in front of 40,000 people. That's cool. And then two minutes later, I'm in. And I have to tell you, when I open the door from the bullpen to make the run to the mound, everything I've been through my entire life was going through my mind. And as I ran in, I'm looking at all the colors and seeing all the people and hearing all the noise and smelling the hot dogs and the beer and the Cokes and the leather and the grass and the dirt. This is baseball. And I'm like, I stepped my spikes onto the dirt of the mound of the ballpark in Arlington. I came to one conclusion. I would not change anything about my journey because that made me who I was standing there. And so I'm talking to Larry Rothschild, our manager, and John Flurry, the catcher. Larry hands me the ball. He says something. After the game, my best friend, the big leagues, Roberto, he goes, what were you laughing about when Larry brought you in? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, they had your story on the center field screen. They showed you running in. Larry hands you the ball. You die laughing. He said something. What do you say? I'm like, I have no idea what that man said to me. I was petrified. And you take your first warm-up pitch because when you're coaching a high school team, you have a high school field. But now you're in a stadium, and you're like, I wonder if the mound and the plate are still the same distance apart. And I take my first warm-up pitch, and I actually get it there, and I'm like, that's okay. And people go, what were you thinking at that point? There were two thoughts. Don't hit Royce Clayton and start a brawl, and don't throw the ball into the backstop. Other than that, we're good to go. He can hit a home run. I can strike him out. I can walk him. It doesn't matter. I'm here. I've done it. All because of a group of kids. Well, you did the latter. That moment is when the rookie is on TV, that's the moment I wait for. I'm just like, I'm, I throw it on and I, I tell my fiance, I'm like, we just got to leave it on until, uh, until he gets called in. That part just gets me every time. I've got two more things for you and then I will, I will let you go. You've already given me a lot of your time. Um, before I ask any, you know, about anything, if you change anything in the film, I have to ask about one scene. In the film, they have you come out and throw in the rain after the initial tryout on an incredibly muddy, muddy mound, and it's just pouring down rain. Uh, can I assume that this didn't actually happen, or did the Rays actually bring you out to throw in incredibly dangerous conditions? <laughs> it was actually lightning, too. And oh. they, had to, they had to hand me a brand-new baseball every pitch, sliding up to my knee in mud, with not only my kids, but half of my high school team. I'm throwing 98 in the rain, sliding up to my knee in mud. 
in conditions I would not even let my kids play in, and I'm out there doing it. And I signed the contract, and it was a minor league contract, and I actually I took a pay cut from teaching to play minor league baseball again. That's how smart I was. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the uh, that's unfortunately still the case um, with with what minor leaguers are are being paid. Um, I, I wish I wish they would have included that all your your players were there and your kids were there in that scene and you signed the contract in that scene. I th- that would have actually been pretty cool. So I guess that leads into my last question. I asked this, my, myself and a guest when we go over a film, we'll always at the end say, how would we have improved the movie? If you had to change anything about the film from either a baseball perspective or something they included, something they, they left out, is there anything you would have changed about the movie The Rookie? You know, it's already 85% correct. For a long time, I thought if I would change anything, I would want more stuff that my grandfather had said to me and taught me in my life in the film. But on the other side of that, it has afforded me the ability to tell audiences everywhere I go what he was like and what he meant to me. He was my dream maker. And so he's one of the big dream makers in the book. And, you know, the big deal for that is you surround yourself with the best to be the best. And he was absolutely that. And so was my grandmother, Alice. And just great people. They taught me about faith and grace and compassion before it became popular. They were not religious at all. They were Christ-led. And what a relationship I had with them and the things they taught me. He taught me how to be a man, had me take my grandmother on lunch dates, um, how to open car doors, restaurant doors, pull out chairs, fold out napkins, taught me how to shake hands firmly, look people in the eye, yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. He taught me to do things the right way. And he taught me how important it is when people are talking to you to give them your undivided attention because you want the same thing from them. He was just an incredible man. He knew everybody. And I have to tell you this, just because Dennis and I talked about it the other day, and I found out this was actually his cousin. One day in the store, I'm working for my grandfather, Ernest, in his menswear store in Brownwood, Texas. And in the store comes this guy, and Ernest sees him, and they walk up to each other and hug like they're long-lost buddies. But as a 17-year-old kid, I recognize this guy. You know, this is back in the day when you recognize people on TV. Uh, We had three channels and we were the remote control, right? And so he's on TV, I recognize this. And I'm like, he acts like he's best friends. And then he introduces this man to me and it was Gene Autry who had flown from California to Brownwood, Texas to hang out with my grandfather and buy suits. And it was just an amazing moment. And that happens to be one of Dennis's cousin who knew so many years later we would bump paths. And, but he was, and my grandmother are two of the main dream makers in my life. Well, Jim Morris, thank you so much for, for giving me the time, letting me pepper you with questions about this movie. I could have, I could have talked for like four hours about this movie. <laughs> uh, tell the folks again where they can get your book and when it drops. DreamMakersBook.com. You can get a discount on it. You'll get it autographed and it comes out June 23rd. So you can pre-order now. It'll come to you later. It's, I think it's going to help a lot of people because it talks about a lot of different things that are going on that we need to be mindful of. And the other thing my grandfather taught me of, sorry, was 
about a sense of humor and being able to laugh. So there's a lot of funny stuff in there just because my grandfather handed down his sense of humor. And so we have a lot of fun with it. And just like I do with audiences, and if you don't laugh, you cry, especially right now. We got to get outdoors. We got to do something. I'm going to have a, a picture on Facebook and LinkedIn in a couple of days. I'm fixing to do something that is kind of paralleled with the rookie. It's going to be a scene. Part of it's going to have Dennis on one scene and me on the other. And we'll see if people still remember the movie with that picture. And it's going to be fun doing it. Well, I'll, so be, I, I'll be tuning in for that one. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I appreciate you interviewing me. I hope I answered your your questions that you had and your audience likes it. It was an incredible time. Um, don't ever, ever give up. We don't know what's on either door, and you don't want to wake up one day and go, what if? Absolutely, Jim. I will post the, the links in the show notes so anyone can check out uh, Jim's book. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time today. Absolutely, man. You have a great day. You too. Stay safe. You too. And that's it for today's episode of Big Screen Sports. Please remember to tune in on Friday covering this movie, The Rookie with Dylan Shivery. Uh, great episode. I already recorded it. I'm looking forward to dropping that one. If you haven't yet, please remember subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcast. Big Screen Sports is a weekly sports movie podcast. We cover a different sports movie normally every Monday. Unless we have a special interview like today's with Jim. Uh, yeah, so tune in on Friday covering The Rookie with Dylan Shivery. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.